today, on a scale of one to 10, one being, oh, that's okay. 10 being like very, that is incredibly unfair. We're gonna do a survey of unfairness. So the first one we'll do for the kids. So kids, especially you could chime, chime in on this. So let's just imagine kids that there's a parking lot that's full of dirt and has like huge uh, machinery on it, bulldozers and tractors. And so when church gets out, some parents let their children go right up and touch the bulldozer, maybe get on one of the vehicles. Other parents say, no, no, that's way too dangerous. Get right in the car, we have to go home. Scale one to 10, how unfair is that? You can talk to those, I'll give you five seconds, just talk to those next to you. Scale one to 10, how unfair is that? Did I hear a 10? All right, next one, how many of you, some of you, this may be very fresh being students, but think back to your school days, the old group project. So imagine, scale one to 10, how unfair is this? Three kids, three high school students in a group project. Johnny is one of them. Johnny is just on his phone as soon as the teacher turns away. Johnny's looking at YouTube on stupid human tricks and the YouTube algorithm has captured Johnny. So it's like animal stupid human tricks, cat stupid, stu stupid cat tricks. And all he does every time on the group project is look at, at YouTube. Then there's Sarah, who she'll contribute some when she's not taking selfies. And usually it takes Sarah about 10 or 11 selfies to get just the right one that she can post. And then there's Ted, who is like disciplined. He's got to stay on the honor roll. And he is just hammering this group project out. So thanks to Ted, they all get an A. How fair is it that Johnny and Sarah also got an A? Five seconds, talk to those next to you. Give your number, one, seven, 10, eight. Next situation, you have two ladies doing the same exact job, same job description, same everything, except one lady has a college degree and because of that college degree, she gets paid $1,500 more a month than the other lady. They do the same exact job, scale one to 10, turn to the person next to you, give your number. How unfair is that? Two guys on the line, and they both do the same job at the factory, but get paid the same. Maybe the other guy gets a little bit more because he, he always goes out to the yard. He's uh, usually the first to check in, maybe the last to punch out. The other guy, even though it's a 15 minute work break, somehow always ends up taking like a 35 minute work break and disappearing in the hidden corners of the factory. And you know, when there's job to do out, a repair job, like he goes, takes a smoke break and the other guy like gets the job done, uh, repair on the line. Scale one to 10, how fair is that? You can turn the person next to you. Rocky says five, thank you, Rocky. Last one, um, one person starts at six o'clock in the morning, works till six in the evening, uh, works for 12 hours. The other person doesn't show up at work till five o'clock, works one hour, they go get, to pay, get paid and they get paid the same thing. Scale one to 10, turn to the person next to you. How unfair is that? 
go. All right, so remember that number on the last one. Let's open up this morning to Matthew chapter 20 and verse one for our parable, continuing our summer series on parables. This morning, we're gonna take a look at fair. What's fair? What do we consider fair? What's fair in the eyes of the Lord? So beginning with verse one, Let's take a look at this. And again, parables are, are stories to grab your attention with an unexpected ending, with a twist to tell you what Jesus is about, what the kingdom of heaven is about. So verse one, for the kingdom of heaven, and again, the kingdom of heaven means God's rule, God's reign, God's government, uh, the perfect world that is coming, uh, the world of forgiveness of God's mercy and grace that has already begun and will culminate in the return of Christ himself. The kingdom of heaven is like. So the word like meaning it's a simile, it's a description, it's a metaphor of, this is an illustration of what it's like. Master of a house. And so just to give it away real quick, God the Father is the master of the house who went out early in the morning, early in the morning, so this parable takes place all in a single day, but it rep represents a generation or a lifetime or your lifespan to hire laborers. So for those who are entering the kingdom, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are the laborer, or in some versions, the servant in this parable. Uh, his vineyard represents the world where we live. So let's go on to verse two. So after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day. So just like you, you get hired a new job, you probably sign a contract, you fill out the papers, there's an agreement. You get $10 an hour, 20, 30 an hour, whatever it is, there's an agreement. So the agreement is for a small Roman silver coin called a denarius. This agreement starts off six o'clock. And so the master sends them head off to work and they head off to work without complaint, six in the morning. Verse three, and going out about the third hour, the third hour would have been about nine in the morning, he, the master, uh, he goes right back out. Uh, his help wanted sign is still out there. He said, hey, anyone else need a job? He saw others standing idle in the marketplace. Mark that word idle. It could also be translated lazy. Those who are, you know, they're looking at the news, uh, watching the news hour or whatever it is they're, they're looking at. They're not being too active, but the master says, hey, Nine o'clock, you guys ready to work? And he sends them out into the field. Verse four, and to them, he said, you go into the vineyard too. And whatever is right, because he's, he's just, whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour, about noon, and the ninth hour, about three o'clock, he did the same. So you have this picture of the master he keeps heading back to town saying, hey, who, who wants work? Hey, what are you doing? Uh, stop, come on, pick it up. There's work to do. You can be hired. You can receive wages. You can have a purpose. Go out to the vineyard. Go out to my vineyard and work a whole day long. So, and again, about the 11th hour, 
he went out, verse six, and that expression, the 11th hour at the last second, that's where it comes from. About the 11th hour, five o'clock, and found others standing. And, uh, and he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? And so I kind of think this is a great picture of these five o'clock, men or women still hanging out in the marketplace. These are the cream of the crop, the lazy of the lazy. And it kind of makes you think, what kind of boss is this? Real, I mean, he's five o'clock, one hour left, and he's still trying to scrounge up more work? What is up with this guy? And I think it's also funny that the lazy of the lazy say, because no one has hired us. The humor I find is that the lazy person has always got an excuse. When I want to be lazy, you know, you, you've got a ready excuse for why it's not my fault. The lazy person has the perfect excuse for why it's your fault that I'm lazy. It's not my fault at all, it's your fault. I kind of think that, that's pretty funny. Because no one has hired us. And he said to them, you, lazy the lazy, lazy all-stars, you too go into the vineyard. Just one hour, knock it out for one hour. Can you imagine how the others felt, you know, especially the first shifters who've been there all day, like, who are these guys showing up? Man, they've got it easy. Isn't that the way people always think? I'm not sure about those new, new men or women on the line. Let's see what they can do. Um, so again, let's move on for the story. And when evening came, verse eight, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last, those five o'clock guys, one hour workers, one hour specials, let's get them last, put them first up to the very first, those who've been there all day long. And so remember that there's all, there's up to this point, so all people are just listening to like, okay, we got it and nothing unusual, but the twist is coming. Verse nine, and when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. And so in real time, people are, are listening and thinking like, he, they worked one hour and they got the agreement. They're thinking like, wow, what a generous boss. I wonder how much we're gonna get. And verse uh, nine, each, each, they get, and then moving on, it says, now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, right? Wouldn't you? I worked 12 hours, but each of them also received a denarius. Now think back, 12 hours, one hour, same payment. What number did you give for how unfair that is? Isn't that unfair? Very unfair. And on receiving it, they did what? They grumbled. Wouldn't you? They grumbled. How can these guys for one hour, the one hour, lazy the lazy, they're getting the same thing as I get. The word grumbling meaning to smolder in discontent. Isn't that a good description? Or it could be translated to murmur or to whisper. Isn't that what happens, whether it's in the office or at work, like, this is so unfair. And the point is that sometimes God appears to be unfair. That God's 
fair is not our fair. Let's take a moment to pray. Lord, I just pray uh, that you would lead us and guide us in your word. Um, help, help each one of us this morning watching online or here. Lord, for us to, to understand more about who you are and who we are. Thank you that your fair is not the same as our fair. Thank you that you are just and generous and help us to be generous as you are in Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes God appears unfair. And if you read your Bible, a lot of times people in the Bible think that God is unfair. Sometimes I have thought that God is unfair. So three reasons God appears unfair. God appears unfair when we look at what other people receive. So six o'clock in the morning, the people make the agreement, yeah, sure, we'll work for you a denarius for the day. Were they upset or angry at that moment? When did they actually get upset and start grumbling? As soon as they saw how much the five o'clock, one hour special people got paid. They were not upset until then. Look at verse 10. Now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house. Suddenly, they feel ripped off, tricked, duped, ill-used, unfair. It's natural for us as human beings that we want to be ahead of others. And all of us, myself included, we all, we like to think that we're ahead, that we're not getting outworked, that we're doing just as much or more than others. That is a natural human feeling. And how many times you can think of where you were happy about something, maybe it was the fish you caught, maybe it was the deer you shot until you saw someone else's bigger fish, bigger deer. Have you ever been happy about something at work? Maybe it was a raise that you got until you found out that those other people got the same raise. Maybe you were happy about a promotion until you realized she or he, that you're so much better than got that same promotion or raise. Maybe you're happy about your car or your t-shirt or your dress until you saw someone else that appeared to get better. God appears unfair when we look too much at what other people receive. It can steal our joy in a heartbeat. Secondly, God appears unfair because everyone should get what they deserve, right? Everyone should get what they earned, right? Verse 12, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Now again, I find some humor in this. Workers complaining. A couple weeks ago, I read this little comment by a Hollywood icon. He was talking about the evolvement of the human race and about humans are evolving. But when I look at this passage, I see that no, people are not evolving at all. Whether it was 2,000 years ago uh, in Palestine or your RV factory today or your office today, workers are workers. And when they, feel un when they feel treated unfairly by management, what happens? There's grumbling. Someone kicks it off. We've borne the heat of the day. 
Yes, we've done the scorching heat. We worked all day. This is so unfair. All of us have seen it. All of us have been a part of it. And this is unfairness. I also think it's funny how they, they talk about the burden of the day and the scorching heat. You probably never see workers complain about, yeah, the boss got us pizza for lunch. Or yeah, the company got us free t-shirts. No, it's always the worst thing that they can think of. The burning heat, the full length of the day. When we're complaining, we think of the worst things that we've suffered to build our case for how unfairly we've been treated. But yet, there is some truth in it. Because shouldn't a student who's studied hard, don't they deserve a good grade? Isn't the person who practices their instrument or their singing or their sport, if they work hard, don't they deserve to do well? Isn't the worker who who's, does a great job and is very conscientious and very thorough, don't they deserve to be well paid? But yet we come back to very, the ver, first verse. For the kingdom of heaven is like, and here's the kicker, that this is God's measure that there's a truth to down here on earth, yes, you can make a good case for everyone should get what you deserve. You should, if you work hard, you should be well compensated. But the kingdom of heaven is not like that. Romans 3.23 says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So we all deserve condemnation. Everyone should get what they deserve in a sense here on earth. But when it comes to God, do we want that measure? Oh no, no we don't, not at all. God's fair is not our fair. And that's a really good thing for you and I. God appears unfair when we think that he owes us. Verse 12 again, these last worked only one hour and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. So these first shift men and women think, boss, we worked 12 hours, they worked one, you owe us. And so their relationship to the boss is that they had the sense of you owe us, it is not right. We deserve, we have earned 12 hours, 12 denariuses. And so the truth, as it relates to the kingdom, it's turning to look at God, that God, all the things I've done for you, you owe me. I came to church on July 3rd. A lot of people were sleeping in. You owe me. I was out in the parking lot directing traffic. Hey, the, the parking lot was in a shambles and I still came to Wawasee Bible. And okay, all of you here today watching online, Double points with God, triple. It's a, it's a holiday, you get, you know, five times pay for being here, credit with God today. Watching online, just take a picture of yourself with Wallace Bible in the background, send it in, you'll get your rebate. <laughs> and a lot of times we consciously or unconsciously can fall into that relationship with God of God, you owe me. And life can appear unfair when we have this sense of, 
hey, I've done all these good things. I've obeyed God. I've been to church. I've served, especially in kids' ministry, um, on Sunday mornings. And do I really deserve this? Have, has, have any of you ever thought that God has treated you unfairly? There have been several times I've thought that God has treated me unfairly. There have been trials where I've wrestled with God in prayer and said, God, I've thought and said these words that, God, is this really how you treat me? Is this really what I deserve? Is that a, a happy place to be in your relationship with God? It's a dark place. And I have been there where I've thought, God, I don't deserve this. And then God and his patience after time, the thing that has brought me back and restored my joy is coming to the place where God, you owe me nothing. You owe me nothing. And that is a key truth I would have all of you, if you're gonna grow in your relationship with God, that it is a powerful, liberating truth that God, you owe me nothing. He has given us everything in his son and he will keep his promises, but he owes us nothing. We are always one of two things. We're using God, we're using God or we're loving God. We've unconsciously fallen into this pattern of all the good things I'm doing, it's, it's building up credit with God. And so I expect my life to be, you know, less, pain, uh, less painful, um, less trials. It just should be in every way, just a happier, uh, more financially sound life because I'm doing all these things. Um, and God, in a way, owes me. Or we're just loving him. And we're just, we're here in church today just because we love him, because he's so good. Or we fall in the habit of I'm coming to church or I'm doing this ministry of I'm building credit. Now I ask you, which one of those, I'm building credit with God or I'm just loving God, is gonna have more joy? Which one is gonna be your heart overflowing with gratitude? You know, when, when I've lived in that place of God, you're, you're not treating me as I deserve, there's no joy in that. There's no thankfulness in my heart. But when, I, when I come to the truth of God, you owe me nothing. If no single good thing happened to me the rest of my life, you've been more than enough. You've blessed me. Then I can, if I live in the place of God, you owe me nothing, then every single thing is a gift. Anything can give me joy and gratitude. God owes us nothing but has given us everything and he will keep his promise. It applies to our, our relationships too, just in that, that that's, that's the way that we want to, to walk in our relationship with others as well as our relationship with the Lord. God owes us nothing. God may appear unfair, moving on with our sentence, yet God is just and generous. Yet God is just. He does what is right and good. 
Coming back in your Bible to Matthew uh, chapter 20, verse four, it says this. The master says, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, whatever is good, I will give to you. It may not look fair according to our idea of fair, but it's so right and fair. And going down to verse 13, but he replied to one of them, friend, I am doing you no wrong. Now, I love this because this is the master of the house. He's speaking to the laborers. And again, master of the house is God the father and the laborer is you or I. Does he say laborer? He says the word friend. I think this is so amazing that he's teaching us that even though he's our, our God, our king, our master, and if we're his followers, he's, he's paid for us with his blood, but he says, friend. When he has every right to say servant, but he says, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. This is all fair. I'm being completely fair with you. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? In other words, did you not agree with me for the salvation, for, for my, the word of God, for your sins being wiped away, for you being filled with the Holy Spirit? In verse 14, he goes on and says, take what belongs to you and go. It's kind of like he's saying, don't worry, be happy. <laughs> take the goodness and the riches and the gold that I've given you and be happy, be content. Rejoice. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? The application is God's goodness. He's so good. He's fair. He's always just. He's always good to us. So, should the longer you are a Christian increase your reward one day? Let's say, should the person who accepts Jesus as their savior at nine years old, goes to church 50 Sundays a year, serves in various ministry, gives to the church, should they get a high rise in heaven? Maybe the person who gets saved with one hour left of their human life, they should just get like a basement apartment and only be allowed to come out one day a week. Should that be, no, that God is generous, that God is good, that they both receive, receive the same. It's that ugly attitude of, I deserve more, I earned more, I did more than him, I, I deserve better than her. That ugly attitude of, I deserve more, I earn more, has no place in the kingdom of heaven. No place that we all need to be just happy with how good God has been to each one of us. Romans 6, 23 says this, for the wages of sin is death. So if we take that everyone should get what they deserve and apply it to our relationship with God, we're all doomed. We're all condemned. We have no, we do not want that. We want God's unfairness. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God is a different idea of fairness and justice, and we definitely want his. Can a mass murderer go to heaven? 
Can a good person go to hell? A good person who does lots of nice things. My son asked me a couple weeks ago, Dad, can a serial killer go to heaven? What's the answer? It reminded me of Michael Dahmer. Anyone remember the Michael Dahmer story? Milwaukee, Wisconsin, killed, I think, 11. Um, terrible serial killer. As much as I can tell from several articles reading that, Michael Dahmer became a follower of Christ and truly gave his life to Jesus. Does that seem unfair? That is God's unfairness. See, if you go to heaven one day, your next door neighbor might be Michael Dahmer. And then the other side of you might be Billy Graham. It's quite possible that your, your next door neighbor might be the thief on the cross who, who one hour to go put his faith in Christ or less. And your other neighbor might be Moses. This is God's fair. This is God's glory. That God says, I'll be, I'm gonna be generous and kind and just and right with everyone who comes to me because every human being deserves condemnation. The application, the, the 11th hour, should be joy for each of us that God is always, it's never too late. It's never too late to go to God's vineyard. It's never too late to start serving. It's never too late to live for God and to find meaning in, in, in life and joy in serving Jesus. God is just, we don't get what we deserve and God is generous and pursues us in love. Who had the initiative in this story? Was it workers who were eagerly like, where's work, where's work? I gotta get a job, I gotta get a job. Or was it the master who's like, who wants to work, who wants to work, who wants to work? Who's, who took the initiative? It was the master. And so the illustration is that God is always after you. Come find meaning, find life, find forgiveness, find redemption, find worth. I love that, that it's about Christ seeking you. He's always looking for people like, come on, work. I don't care if there's one hour left in your life. Come, come on, get, get in my vineyard. He's so good. The application is that Jesus always seeks, always calls, always invites. So pop quiz this morning, give you two answers, multiple choice. You are loved is our mantra. See if you can figure. So number one choice is you are loved by God because you are so awesome. You are awesomeness. That's one. Or is it you are loved by God because he is merciful and loves to forgive? Now, you are awesome in a sense. You're made in the image of God. But the right answer, the correct answer is because God is merciful and he just loves to forgive. Question number two. You are loved by God because you are the nicest person in Indiana. You are the king or queen of nice. No one is nicer than you because you are so nice every day, 24-7. That's why God loves you, because you're so nice. Or you are loved by God because in spite of all your imperfections, 
He has decided that he is going to love you. You put your faith in him. Obviously, that's the right answer because we all still struggle. But God has decided because you put your faith that he will love you forever and ever, no matter what. Question number three, you're loved by God because you go to church. Most Sundays, two out of four, three out of four, most of the time. Or you're loved by God because he is love and he can't help himself. If you confess your sins, no matter 30 minutes left of life, he, lo- he is love and he is quick to forgive and ready to love. He just cannot help himself. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 says, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden. Revelation three twenty says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. He's a loving God and you and I, our safety, the peace you can have when you lie down at night or when you think about your eternal destiny, the peace that you can have, it's not in you and the things you've done. It's because of him. You can lay down and sleep and have peace because he can't help himself. He owes you nothing, but he, he will keep his promise and he loves you dearly. God is just and he simply loves being generous. It says in, in verse 15, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? This word generosity could also be translated good, just meaning intrinsically, just intrinsically good, just from the top to the bottom of God, he is generous, good, giving. I love a, uh, There's also just a more literal translation that I like. It's in the New American Standard. And it says, uh, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own? Meaning that everything belongs to God. Uh, Your money, your house, your car, your life, uh, your gifts, um, your personality, the, the way that he's shaped you and made you, you came from God. Everything about us, it's his. Um, everything we own, everything that's out there, it's all his. Or is your eye envious? And this word envious also is the root for evil, could be translated evil because I am generous or good. And so it's mixing, it's contrasting good and evil, good and evil that comes through our eyes. And again, like we can be happy and then we see something with our eyes and instantly we take our eyes off of God and we're, our day is ruined or we're upset or we're jealous. And that it's kind of talking about our, our eye is where we focus our eye is kind of a key to good over evil and keeping our eye in the right place and that our eye needs to be on the Lord and on his, his goodness. And that when we praise God for his generosity, that's the triumph of good over, over, eel, over evil. So, have you ever been made unhappy when God is good to undeserving people? Have you ever thought that's so unfair? You know, I'm having a hard day and this person who cares nothing for God or doesn't do as much for God, they seem to be making more money 
having more happiness. And it's in those times that the triumph of good over evil is to like, yay, God, you're so good. You're good to me. You're even good to those who don't deserve it. It's to praise God that God is generous because he's generous with you as well. When you pray, as I encourage you to do, pray, just try to be conscious that you're not praying from a sense of, you know, hey, I've done these good things, so Lord, please make this thing happen for me. But when you pray, address God, start your prayer with, thank you, God, that you're so generous. End your prayer with, thank you, God, that you're so good and generous. That your appeal and your joy are a matter of like, God, you're so generous and good, no matter if you answer my prayer or not. Rather than putting yourself and God in a bind, like, God, I've done these things for you, so you, I really want you to answer this request. Because you walk away from that prayer feeling stressed out and anxious and like, God, you better answer that. Rather than free, just knowing that, God, you're good and generous all the time. And I trust you. You're gonna bring all things for good. So we are called to be generous and acknowledge God's right to be just and generous. Acknowledge everything belongs to God and it is good and fitting. And even though we can't understand God's ways and why he may appear to be unfair uh, sometimes, why he appears, why is he so generous with that person and not with me or et cetera, but just that we trust that God, it's all yours. And I praise you that you have a right, God. Go, God, and be generous as you can be. Praise him for it. Keep your focus on God and not on what others get. Again, is your eye envious because I'm generous? Again, the, the, the application is the key for you and I to have joy. It's just to keep our eyes on the Lord and if we see someone else being blessed who it seems unfair to say, yes, Lord, praise your name that you're so generous to that person. You're generous with me too. Lastly, ask God to increase generosity in your nature. Ask God to increase generosity in your nature. Interesting verse, um, 2 Corinthians 9, verses 10 through 11. It says this, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. I'm not gonna take time to explain that, but verse 11 is the key here. It says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. That's you. So basically verse 10 is just talking as we live for Christ, that God is able to make you be more generous and have joy in that. That you, Christian follower, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. So if Christ is in you, he's at work to make you like himself and God is incredibly generous and he can make you generous, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So this week, let's just take a moment right now what is one way, one person, and I want you to think about someone who doesn't deserve it. Take a moment right now, 
Think about a person that you can maybe be generous to that they don't deserve it and that they're probably not gonna show you generosity back. Whether you drop something off to them or maybe do something kind for them at work. Well, take a moment right now as we're just about to have communion. Think about a situation, maybe it's with a neighbor. And that will be the triumph of good over evil. That will be producing thanksgiving. Maybe jot their name down right now. Just think about a situation where you can be generous as God has been generous with you this very week. God is able to make you grow in generosity. So wrapping up right now, we're gonna go into communion, which is incredibly appropriate. Pastor Josh is gonna come lead us. And this is a celebration of unfairness, that communion is for you if, you are a follow, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, it represents your commitment to him to walk in generosity. Let's pray and the worship team is gonna come.